The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and the Washington Post Brand Studio. Coming soon to wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, January 8th. In today's news, Me Too comes to the Golden Globes. Steve Bannon is trying to make nice with the Trumps. And a look at the president's schedule shows he's spending less time working and more time watching TV. But first, the big idea. The best way to run against Washington in 2018 will be calling for an end to gridlock and dysfunction. Since the day they enacted the biggest overhaul of the tax code in a generation without a single Democratic vote, Republicans have been talking a big game about their supposed desire to work across the aisle. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said on Saturday at Camp David, quote, We hope that 2018 will be a year for more bipartisan cooperation. Then Trump added, We hope that we're going to be able to work out an arrangement with the Democrats. It's certainly something that I'd like to see happen. That comment was overshadowed by the president's declaration earlier in the day that he is, quote, like really smart and a very stable genius. But Trump has been saying stuff like this, talking about the need for bipartisanship a lot more in the last few weeks. These peons to working together partly reflect legislative necessity. Because of Senate rules, they'll need 60 votes to keep the government open after next week to avert the deportation of hundreds of thousands of undocumented immigrants who were brought here as children to appropriate money for disaster relief, or renew the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, or stabilize the health care system, or avoid a default on the national debt in March. Now that Doug Jones has been sworn in as Alabama's new senator, Republicans only have 51 seats, and two of their members, John McCain and Thad Cochran, have serious health problems that make their votes hard to depend on. But the reality is that cold, hard political calculus is the biggest driver of these new GOP talking points. Both public and private polls show that the Trump administration's steadfast unwillingness to work in good faith with Democrats has become a serious liability for down-ballot Republicans in the midterms. For example, one major reason that the tax cuts are so unpopular is the widespread perception that Republicans rammed them through without trying to work with Democrats. Only 27% of adults think Republicans made a, quote, good faith effort to cooperate with Democrats on the tax bill according to a late December CNN SSRS poll. Compare that to Obamacare, which also passed without any Republican votes eight years ago. But Democrats spent months trying fruitlessly to get some GOP lawmakers on board. And polls show that the public recognized that, that they thought that Democrats had at least tried. Ultimately, though, the lack of Republican votes made it hard for the bill to ever become popular. Bipartisanship could work for someone like Trump. A lot of people thought when he took office that he'd try to cut big deals. Trump's surprise agreement with Democrats on hurricane disaster funding this past fall has been actually maybe his most popular action as president. When you look at the polls, two thirds of Americans supported that deal in our polling. But congressional Republican leaders were mad they had the rug pulled out from underneath them. And the president quickly backed away from his kind words for Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, Chuck and Nancy, as he was calling them, after he saw blowback from his base on places like Fox News. Democrats have other valid reasons to doubt the sincerity of their counterparts. Their leaders were excluded from the Camp David summit this weekend where Trump and McConnell proclaimed their desire to work with them. As he spoke, Trump demanded that Democrats agree to $18 billion for his border wall. He said he won't sign a DACA fix unless he gets it. Everyone knows that's a non-starter poison pill. Also, 
Whatever happened to Mexico paying for the wall? And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, the Golden Globes award show on Sunday night was heavily shadowed by the Me Too movement. Host Seth Meyers called out sexual harassment in the entertainment industry during his powerful opening monologue, and several acceptance speeches focused on this topic. But Oprah Winfrey's acceptance speech got more buzz than anyone else. She is the first African-American woman to accept the Golden Globes Lifetime Achievement Award, and she used her comments to show her support for the women in the movement. A new day is on the horizon. And when that new day finally dawns, it will be because of a lot of magnificent women, many of whom are right here in this room tonight, and some pretty phenomenal men fighting hard to make sure that they become the leaders who take us to the time when nobody ever has to say, me too, again. Among the other winners last night were Big Little Lies, The Handmaid's Tale, and three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Number two. Steve Bannon is trying to walk back his scathing comments about the Trump family after the president disowned him. The former White House chief strategist put out a statement on Sunday in which he called Donald Trump Jr. both a patriot and a good man. He said his support for the president and his agenda is, quote, unwavering. A Bannon ally said the statement was as much about trying to prevent more of his supporters and backers, the people who fund his causes and his website, from defecting as it was about appeasing the president. But administration officials tell us that the statement did nothing to quell Trump's rage. One person who's spoken to Bannon says he seems even more manic than normal. He's remained ensconced in his Capitol Hill townhouse, which he calls the Breitbart Embassy. There's even a rope on the steps blocking people from coming in. One ally said, quote, he knows he is at his lowest point. Number three, Trump's daily schedule is shrinking. According to copies of his private calendar obtained by the website Axios, he starts his day later and later and holds far fewer meetings than in the early days of his administration. From 8 a.m. to 11 a.m., almost every day, Trump spends his time watching TV, making phone calls to friends and tweeting. He's usually only in the Oval Office from 11 a.m. to almost 6 p.m., and then he goes back to the residence and watches more television. His schedulers block out time for him to watch the tube as, quote, executive time. In other news, Politico reports that the White House has quietly hired a full-time professional stylist whose duties include doing the hair and makeup of Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Kellyanne Conway when they go on television. The administration refuses to say how much this service is costing taxpayers. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, January 8th. Thanks so much for listening. I'm James Holman, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.